0: Thank you, Marcus, for reading that portion of Scripture. Greetings to each one. It's good to be here again this morning after having been away for a few weeks, two Sundays, the last two Sundays. I especially want to acknowledge Daniel, and uh, thank you, Daniel, for preaching last Sunday. Uh, We had a wedding in um, Westmoreland County, Trauger, Pennsylvania, and had originally planned to be here for Sunday and then uh, changed our plans to accommodate my in-laws parent uh, my wife's parents and and then uh, short notice things changed around and, and daniel um was willing to preach and for the rest of the the ministerial team and their um willingness to work together like that i did uh, think uh didn't think about it till uh after the announcements were over. i wonder if it shouldn't be mentioned here for those of you who would know um amos and fanny stolzfus amos um would have been um One of the ministers at Refton Church back in the day, and then between the time of Refton and them moving to Dundee, they attended here at Mine Road for a few years at least, Um, and he assisted some in preaching. They lived for the last 20, 25 years in Dundee, uh, New York. Amos passed away this past week, um, fairly unexpectedly, as I know, as I understand. And there was a funeral in Dundee yesterday, and there will be a visitation this afternoon at Weavertown Church from 1 to 3, and then a private burial. After that, he'll be buried at, at the Weavertown Church. So Amos was my dad's uncle, and um, Amos and Fanny were a dear couple. As Mark has said, Titus chapter 2 is full of. Uh, practical advice to Christian living, uh, covering a, a variety of ages, pretty much all age groups and, and walks of life. I'm focusing this morning particularly on uh, verses 11 through 15, often been intrigued by verse 12, where it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The, the, the book of Titus, as we know and understand, is, is a pastoral letter from Paul to Titus. Titus calls, uh, I mean, Paul calls Titus a son after the faith, and it seemed like they had a dear a relationship. It was written to give Titus guidance and instruction in establishing leaders um, and building up the church in, on the island of Crete. It's not quite sure we're not quite sure um, why Paul Paul would have visited Crete and why he didn't do that himself um, I think he had just been in prison and was released but it, uh, nonetheless he he um, uh, the word's not coming but he he uh, commissioned that's the word I want commissioned Titus to go and establish the church there on the island of Crete and to establish leadership and there it gives him lots of Direction, chapter 1, focuses especially on on qualifications for church leaders. Chapter 2, then, um, practical, uh, chapter 2 and 3, aspects of Christian living. In this context, then, in chapter 2 and particularly, he gives verse 11 as, as the bedrock or the foundation for all practical aspects of Christian living. And the foundation is simply this, for the grace of God. And he uses the word for, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then verse 13, I think, tags right on behind that, looking for that blessed hope and a glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. The word for is a primary particle assigning a reason. So he had all this practical act, um, aspects of Christian of church leadership and Christian living in chapter 1 and 2, and then in verse 11 of chapter 2 says, for the grace of God, the reason is the grace of God has brought salvation to all men. And think about that a little bit, just that in and of, of itself. Salvation. Did you earn it? Do you deserve it? Can we gain it? And we know what the answer is to those questions. We cannot. We cannot earn it we cannot we do not deserve it and we cannot do enough to gain it therefore it is by grace alone that all of us have salvation that this, that the plan of salvation is offered to all men and i'd like to emphasize here as well the word all not only jews not only the greeks the, the people on crete were mostly greeks and we know that paul was coming from a jewish background Um, Titus himself was Greek. And the Bible would tell us that there there was some pressure put on Titus at some point to follow a Jewish protocol. But Paul um, supported and and rooted for Titus against that. All can have salvation. Not only Anabaptists. Not only Baptists. Not only the Pentecostals. Not only, you name it. All can have salvation salvation by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created unto... in um, Now I'm stalling. I'll look it up. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It is only by the unearned, unmerited grace of God that salvation is delivered to all men, to mankind, and it's given to all. The only exception to that being that there's, there possibly will be some that do not know. And I was inspired by the testimony from camp. I heard some of it from the girls too, from our daughters. Um, some of the things that happen in the moving of the Spirit. And we have our work um, cut out for us moving forward and standing by these young ladies and supporting them and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. All can experience salvation by grace, the rich, the poor, the learned and the unlearned. The employer and the employee, the president and the citizen, all can experience salvation. As it has been said by others, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The second thing that is the foundation and the bedrock for practical Christian living is the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are here as pilgrims and strangers. We are here but for a time. And it's only a, a short time that we're here. But having this focus, it gives us a purpose to live. It gives us a vision, a focus. And as we, 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 we do well in reminding ourselves of this constantly, to keep that in front of us, the focus of why we live the way we do here on this earth. It's a blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks, in the faith chapter, speaks of those who died, not ever having realized or understood the promise that was giving, given to them, but they believed it. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And we know a little bit what having a goal having a vision does for us without a vision the people perish the bible says 2 weeks ago our family was together on family vacation and um, there was family members in our family who normally don't enjoy getting up early but we couldn't get up early enough the morning it was time to leave for family vacation because there was nieces and nephews that hadn't been seen for a while The family hadn't been all together for a while, and there was lots of anticipation. There was a goal. There was a focus. There was anticipation of something that was to be experienced, and it motivated um, some otherwise sleepy people to wake up quite early and do what it took to get on the road. That's a a simple illustration, and if we can focus and if we can get a a vision and a glimpse of eternity and what it has for us, it would be so much more motivating. For us. This blessed hope and this glorious appearing, this grace that brings salvation, is the lens through which we need to view life and, picture and, and make our decisions based off of that. <clears throat> if we remember that if we keep in focus that Jesus is coming, we don't know when, we don't know what time or how soon, but he's coming someday. I remember growing up, we often heard it at home, Um, When there was a question about what what we're going to do or where we're going to go, the question was given to us, uh, would you want to be doing this when Jesus comes again? And it was a a foundational question and and often um, directed uh, things that, that we did. Would you want to be doing this or would you want to be there or here or whatever it is when Jesus comes again? Are we living in constant anticipation of his coming again? And then then coming back to verse 12, teaching us this faith, this anticipation, this, this grace of God that brings salvation is teaching us. The ESV uses the word training us, training us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's a life of discipline. It's a life of sacrificing ourself and our fleshly desires. Ungodliness is anything that is contrary to God, anything that is opposed to the worshiping of and serving of God. We're supposed to deny it. We're supposed to put it aside, put it down. Worldly lusts are desires that pertain to this life, wealth, pleasure, honor, sensual indulgence. Gluttony, drunkenness, sensuality, etc. Things like this that, that pertain to this life, temporal. And we had some of that in our Sunday school lesson today. Uh, keeping in focus at the temporalness of what we experience here on earth and the physical sense. Worldly lust can, can also be the passions that the people of the world are prone to. And when and we are called as Christians by the grace of God to deny ungodliness and worldliness worldliness <clears throat> i'm sorry worldly lust looking then at the three words soberly righteously and godly soberly <clears throat> uh, is the, is the thought of bringing under control the ESV uses the phrase self-controlled inst- uh, instead of the word soberly, bringing worldly lust under the control of reason and reason under the control of the Holy Spirit, having passions well-regulated and under proper control. Unbridled passions, unbridled temporal passions draw our attention away from the wonder of salvation and the blessed hope of his appearing. We are called to live a life of Self control, bringing our intemperance, bringing our passions under control and under the governance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Righteously, righteously is living in fidelity and integrity with our fellow men. And that's whoever God brings across our path, not just people that we like, but even the people that we don't like, people that might not be so socially acceptable. God, but we are called to live a life of fidelity and integrity, keeping our word, being true to our word, giving to others what is their due. Essentially, living out the golden rule to our fellow man, soberly, righteously, and godly. Godly—I don't think we need much explanation of what it would mean to live, what it means to live godly in this present world. Living a God fearing, God honoring lifestyle, faithfully fulfilling our duties to God. Uh, Marcus pointed out in verse in chapter two, verse eight, that he that is of the contrary may, part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you, a life of godliness, a godly lifestyle, takes away the condemnation and the blame that the world wants to hurl from us, hurl to us. Faithfully, fulfilling our duties to God is what this word godly refers to in this verse. And then, soberly, the, righteously, and godly includes our duties to ourselves, our fellow men, and to God. Cerebrally is a duty to ourselves, living a life of discipline um, and self-control. It's good for us, good for us both physically and spiritually. Uh, to live lives, uh, lives of self-control and discipline. And we see the effects of that in the world around us, people who are uncontrolled in in their, f- their physical and spiritual lives and the, 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 the destruction and the health issues and the wickedness that can come with those things. Righteously is our duty to our fellow man, and godly is our duty to our maker. So it covers all three aspects uh, All aspects of our lives. Our duty to ourselves, our duty to our fellow man, and our duty to our maker. And then the phrase, in this present world, to me is intriguing. Uh, I didn't take much time to study uh, the culture or the world um, of the island of Crete at that time. And I don't think we need to get hung up on that. Because I believe the scripture is, is applicable to us today. And the phrase, in this present world, simply means now. Simply means where you find yourself, whatever stage of life, whatever culture, whatever part of the world that you find yourselves, in this present world, is what this is the lifestyle that we're called to live by the grace of God and with the anticipation of that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like to circle back a bit to the phrase, live soberly. It's interesting to me to note in this portion of scripture, in this book, that it was a phrase, and it was a um, not just a specific phrase, but a thought and a mentality that, that, that Paul mentioned a number of times. This is the fourth time in this book that Paul mentions living soberly in, as he was writing to Titus. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 8 refers to the um, qualifications of a bishop. He is to be sober. And verse 7 references not given too much wine. Chapter 2, verse 4, the aged women are are to teach the younger women to be sober. And then in verse 3, it mentions again specifically the aged women are not to be given too much wine. And then verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be server-minded. And server, again, here is the idea of living self-controlled, self-disciplined uh, life. Now, there's been something that I've been thinking about some recently, and I was thinking of how do we um, talk about this, how do we address this, and that is simply uh, the thing of sobriety and temperance in relation to uh, strong drink or alcoholic beverages, and it just Historically, in our churches, in the Beachy Church, we have had a stand against strong drink and, and using alcoholic beverages. And I didn't take time to study the history behind that as well either. Um, I do believe that many of our parents, and I think in, in my teenage years, um, maybe as young as 8 or 10, I, I'm not exactly sure, we heard a lot more about this and I believe some of that was because there was my parents, a peer group, and a number of people before them that would have come out of a, a Rumspringer background. You know what I'm talking about. And where it was commonly accepted, and almost approved, that, that the young people would enter this life, this, this stage of life where um, partying and, and going, living outside of the church guidelines was normal and, uh, and ex- almost expected. And so some of our parents, some of those who've gone before us, have came out of that lifestyle, and they saw uh, the junk that went with it and the hardship and the difficulties and the struggles that went with it, and and they hated it. And they spoke against it, and we took a stand against it. And I remember growing up, even getting this periodical, I don't remember what it was, I didn't call mom to see, see, see what the title was, but it was one... That was put together by a conservative Baptist. John Rice uh, was uh, one of the main men. I don't know if any of you would have read any writings from John Rice. There's some nods, yeah. And John Rice was very, um, and and his group was very vocal about drinking and the wiles of drinking. And I think too that in in those days, most places where um, alcoholic beverages were served were um, low class places, not necessarily people where you wanted to be seen at more so then than today, I believe. And I, I, in the past fifteen years or so, and please understand, I'm aware that this verse. Talking about living soberly doesn't isn't uh, focusing or zeroing in on uh, drinking, but it is. As I thought about it, this verse came to my mind, and I feel like it gives us a good context to to live from and to decide what should we do today. Back to what I said about uh, some years ago, um, places where alcohol was served were more low class, and not necessarily places where. Christians would want to even want to be seen. It seems like in the past 15 years, if we want to put some time to it, I'm not sure that scene has changed. <clears throat> and the thing of small breweries have become fairly commonplace around us, a kind of a growing thing, and many of them are upscale and quite respectable. Uh, Places uh, not necessarily considered to be low class or a place that you wouldn't want to be seen at. And I believe, I don't know which came first, but also with it then casual drinking has become more popular in the culture around us and is considered to be cool and trendy and much more socially acceptable than it was in the past. And I believe that this trend is finding its way into our Anabaptist circles, <clears throat> and so I'm just calling us this morning to consider how do we view these things, how do we decide what is right, what is wrong, how do we respond to um, these, these, these things that are, we're being faced with today in this present world. According to Paul's writings to Titus, there's reason for concern and caution, Now, with this, we can note uh, phrases like in verse chapter two, verse three, where it says, "Not given too much wine," and we know that Paul told Titus to take, a, uh, told Timothy, to use a little wine for your stomach's sake. There was health benefits, and apparently, Paul isn't saying no wine, but he's saying not given too much wine. He does mention. Verse to the bishops and the qualifications for the bishops not given to wine. So I'm not quite sure. Um, definitely not being controlled or overtaken by it. Now the question then is: Let me back up a little bit first uh, on this idea of Paul's words to Timothy, where he tells him. Actually, he told him in uh, Second Timothy, First Timothy, five twenty-three. He said, "Don't drink water." But drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. And I, I feel like there's a, ten, a tendency among us to, around us, let me say it that way, to kind of flippantly use that as an excuse to justify um, some things like casual drinking. One thing I, I think we should consider that, you know, it's undeniable that there's medicinal benefits to wine. There can be. But there's also one thing for us, I think, to consider before we use that excuse excuse to um, too carelessly or too eagerly is that today in 2022 we have medical practices medicine antibiotics if you please um, that were not available in Paul's time and we have easy access to purified bottled water um, if water is the problem just a thought. So the question I'd like for us to address in, in this is, what is the right response for the Christian of 2022 to these things? <clears throat> Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. Now, I know this is also is addressing servants. <clears throat> and by the way, not purloining in verse 10 means um, not taking things from your employer for your impersonal benefit. Stealing would be another word for it. Verse 10 says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I think there's a key phrase for us. Is what we do in our lives, all of our life, whatever it is, our job, uh, what we eat, our hobbies, what we do for recreation, does it adorn the doctrine of God our Savior? I think that should be a key focus, one of the key focuses for us. Does, does our life, does my life in all things adorn the doctrine of God our Savior? So i remember a conversation uh, not so long ago, a few years ago, about uh, practical applications of a particular uh, doctrine of Scripture or a particular ordinance of Scripture. And, and one of the men involved in the conversation emphasized, and it was in, as, as it pertains to various cultures you know, we have our way here in Lancaster County of doing some things, practical ap- applications of of, of um, the ordinances, but it may look different in South America. It might look different in Africa. And this brother emphasized that whatever adorns the doctrine, I've never forgotten that. And I think that's a good thing to keep in front of us. What does what I do, does what I, how I live, adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. And then keeping in mind, the verse, the, the foundation that we started with in the beginning of the message for the grace of God is teaching us, is training us how to live a life of discipline, a life of temperance and self control. <clears throat> and remembering that our focus and our vision, our hope, the goal that we have is that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are verses then, practical applications from the book of Proverbs has a number of verses. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, for whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs twenty one seventeen: he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Proverbs thirty-one four is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. People of responsibility, people of leadership. Proverbs thirty-one six: Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Proverbs six twenty-seven is a verse that I think we also need to consider because we can take the thing of moderation and, and and so where do we draw the line when we talk about a little wine for your stomach's sake, for instance? Where do we draw the line? And, and those who have come out of, um, I think we probably find with uh, consistency that those who've come out of a drunken lifestyle, a lifestyle bondage to strong drink will inevitably emphasize don't start. Don't start even in the little ways. <clears throat> Proverbs 6, 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Is the is the idea here to see how close we can get or how far we can stay away? First Thessalonians five twenty one through uh, twenty three says this: Prove all things; hold fast that which is good; abstain from all appearance of evil; and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul. And body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I emphasize: I recognize that soberly, as it's used here in this verse twelve, is not limited to strong drink. I think it gives us direction for it, but it definitely applies to all that we do and say, what we eat as well as what we drink, and how we live our daily lives doing all with discipline and self-control, keeping in mind the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. (coughs) Again, I emphasize, the questions that we need to see life through, the lens that we need to focus, I think, that we need to focus and make our life decisions through is... I'm sure there's many different things that you could add to this, but for the me- sake of the message this morning, what I'm seeing here in Titus chapter 2 is three simple things. Does what I do adorn the grace of the doctrine of God? Is what I do the, is what, the God, what the grace of God teaches me to do? And does it evidence a purpose beyond today and beyond the here and now? In closing, I'll read Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you in the merits of the blood of Jesus. And God, I, I confess we need you. We need you. We need to know how to live in this day and age that we live. So many things hurled at us. We heard in our Sunday school. The importance of uh, living lives of, of moral purity and integrity. And Titus, the book of Titus has so many practical aspects of guidance to give us. And we need to know how to apply these things to our daily lives, to the now that we live in. And I pray for wisdom, for guidance. I pray that for hearts that would be willing to serve you and follow you, and be faithful and true to you, and be be uh, find it fulfilling and satisfying to adorn the doctrine of God of your of you. So we commit this into your hands, Father. We pray that we need your help, and we ask for that. We pray for your blessing on preaching the word, for your honor and glory, and. Thank for your blessing on each one in the congregation here this morning as well. Pray for those who can't be here with us this morning for various reasons. Would you bless them, guide and direct them, and keep them in your care? In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, thank you, Jason, for preaching this morning. There's a lot of things that we can talk about and interpretations of scripture and things that we may even disagree on, and yet, as we look at the fruit of them, I don't think we can disagree on that, as we live lives before Christ and others blamelessly in preparation for when he returns. Open it up at this time, if there's anyone who would like to share. Anything that's on your mind?
0: Thank you, Jason, for preaching. And uh, it was interesting how you alluded to, uh, I guess, the writings and teachings of John Rice. I've read a lot of his comments, little poems and writings, ministry notes. And I would get the feeling that you and him would agree on a lot of things. And that is to emphasize Holy and godly living, and that would be the opposite of a life of indulgence for self. Thank you for preaching today.
1: Anyone else? Okay, let's have a closing song.